Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Holy Talk. Email holytalkpodcast at gmail.com for more information. Welcome to Holy Talk Podcast. I am Danny Ortiz. I am David Nekrutman from Israel. David Nekrutman, you in Israel. It's late at night there and you're doing this because uh, we're trying to get this out on Monday. There has been a lot happening in the last couple of weeks. And I'm just going to say before we start anything, thank you for being my brother. Uh, thank you for taking this journey with me. Thank you for helping me grow. And I'm excited that we can bring news on proper context, uh, proper content to groups of people that are really, really hungry to know what's happening uh, in the land uh, of Israel, in Jerusalem, I believe it's God's land, and with God's people. So uh, as everyone knows in, in the media right now, we do have a ceasefire, thank God. Uh, but we did have four, there were 4,360 rockets which were fired from Gaza and uh, most of them made it into Israel. 680 of them actually fell within Gaza. So here are people trying to target Jews or people who are living in Israel, whether they're Jewish or not, because missiles don't have a radar specifically for Jews. 680 of them are falling within Gaza. That means Hamas is endangering. Hamas, the, the ruling governing entity of Gaza has put their own people at risk by firing these missiles as well as putting at Israel at risk. And then we had to go ahead and counter these rockets by using Iron Dome. So we spent close to a quarter of a billion dollars in protecting our own citizens against the missiles coming from, from Hamas. And what happened in the media, I think is the most concerning is that everyone is looking at the body count and therefore most people were going against Israel and saying Israel's in the wrong. Well, I didn't realize defending myself was a problem. If I have someone stockpiling missiles from 2000 and, uh, 2005, uh, no, not 2005, actually 2014, after the, uh, the Gaza war in 2014, continued to stockpile missiles and then use them against civilians across the board in Israel, I have the right to defend myself. I didn't start this war, Hamas did. Hamas saw an, an opening where the Palestinian Authority was delaying their elections, felt they have the protectorate of local issues affecting the state of Israel. Remember, the Temple Mount is under the jurisdiction of the state of Israel. Mm -hmm. Sheikh Jarrah, which became the, the, the issue of the day, is under the jurisdiction of the state of Israel. It was a landlord-tenant dispute on a local level. As much as you may feel for those for those Israeli Arabs who identify themselves as Palestinian, uh, that doesn't give an excuse to then go into rocket fire. Uh, so I, it's kind of interesting looking at the world right now that everyone was rooting for Hamas, which is a terrorist organization backed by Iran, and then condemning the state of Israel for protecting itself and then trying to go ahead as best as it can without doing a ground intrusion into Gaza and doing the targeting of Hamas terrorists. So the biggest thing for the news agencies, you, 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 you destroyed my building, but the building was used by Hamas. So you guys knew about it. You decided not to report anything on it because if you did, you wouldn't be able to be working in that building in the first place. So for some reason, the world seems to be a little bit topsy-turvy right now. And I know I'm feeling very passionate and people are, are probably, Pastor Dan is seeing my face, but you guys are only hearing my voice. And usually I'm very calm. But our, our families were in bomb shelters for two weeks, not knowing if we're going to get home safely or not, because these range, the range of the missiles now go 125 miles. They reached my area. I had to go to a bomb shelter with my family twice. But people living on the southern border, it's crazy for them to just be living constantly in, in a state of fear. So I just don't get what's happening in the world today. And then the justification that's happening in certain cities in the United States, specifically in New York, where people seem it's okay to justify that whatever they see as a Jew, to blame the entire thing on that Jew living in New York, then going into a restaurant, a kosher restaurant, 
and just finding your Jew so you can try to beat them up. So the anti-Semitism that has been flared up is incredible. I would, again, Pastor Danny, if you would have told me 20 years ago, would have ever seen anti-Semitism on the rise again, I'd say you're crazy. And I would actually say like, what's the need for the Anti-Defamation League, which is the organization that monitors anti-Semitism? Uh, how much paranoia do we need? But it seems like there's an unprecedented amount of anti-Semitism on social media. But what's happening right now is justification of violence against Jews in the streets for what's happening in Israel. And therefore, uh, I'm great we're having this talk called Holy Talk, because Holy Talk also means that we're trying to incorrect, correct, trying to correct the injustices that are happening right now because of what's happening in Israel. So we, we as Holy Talk, as a, a movement of people, we totally, totally are against, and we want folks to hear us, and we have to be against our brothers and sisters that are listening to this on all sides. I don't care what side of the aisle you stand in, you have to be against violence against people. Anti-Semitism is not, we, we can't stand for it. It's not biblical, it's not the answer. And again, a lot of it is done because of misinformation, right? So you have a lot of misinformation. And so I'm gonna plead to those who are listening and I'm going to say this on all channels, and I know I can get in trouble. Someone can say, send it to Fox or CNN and get us in trouble. But I'm going to say it. Stop looking at Fox. Stop looking at CNN. Don't look at these news uh, outlets that are uh, inciting stuff inside your hearts that unless you know the facts, because it's such a complicated situation, unless you know the facts, it's going to lead you down this rabbit hole and it's not going to be a good rabbit hole. And next, you know, you're going to get angry. I'm going to be angry at the Jews for what I see the news. That doesn't even make sense. No one would take that in any other situation with any other group of people. Right. And so uh, we want to say that we are against anyone with any violence. What happened in New York City cannot happen. And first of all, New York City has to do better. Our policing has to do better. We have to understand in our cities that it's going to be heightened right now because of the misinformation. Our cities from California to New York City to Houston to Florida to the Midwest, we have to be high and alert in these crowds, especially with our Jewish brethren, our Orthodox Jewish brethren, because, you know, someone that's not fairly Orthodox, you know what I mean, that is wearing a garb uh, that can tell them apart, unless you speak in uh, Hebrew, no one's going to know really that you are Jew or not, unless you wear your kipper or you got something that shows this out. And so especially in those uh, kind of neighborhoods, you know, I'm, I'm asking, and, and we're going to talk about this later, what can Christians do? But I mean, our policing needs to do better. Um, we just need to do better to fight anti-Semitism. And again, online, it's just crazy because I, I would say, David, that people should go online and, 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 and go to Facebook and, and try to fight it then. But it's such a cesspool, you know what I mean, Facebook. And such misinformation that it's sometimes not even worth fighting it. Um, but at every time that you get a chance to fight it, begin to start fighting it and understand that this is not nothing new. It's been going on. And especially in the last couple of years, I would say the last five years, we see it more and more and more um, because people are taking sides. Now, I do want to say, um, David, for you to, to explain to our, our, our folks, ha Hamas... And, and, just, and we're not going to go deep into this until probably next week until we have someone else, uh, a guest uh, with us. Hamas is not the Palestinian people, all right? And again, we put all these groups in one thing, but there is a group of folks that think that it's all in the same. But because it's complicated, would you touch on the point that Hamas is, again, we are totally against terror, and we all, is a terrorist organization, what there exists so that those who hear me clearly on all aisles of the side, because we have all people that listen to this podcast, they exist to annihilate Jews. That's why they're here for. It is a terrorist organization that's backed up by Iran. Saying that, right. we're not talking about every Palestinian person. Uh, we, had a we had a couple of the pressmen on our last week's podcast, and they were telling us a little bit about the friends that they have. They are friends that are, and so folks don't know that there are Palestinian and Jews that are friends in Israel. They automatically think everyone's against each other. They have one side, one, one side, not the other. And so can you clarify that for us a little bit so that folks are a little educated and you can educate us because uh, we're not there in Israel. 
though I've been there and I can talk about my experience, can you educate us a little bit about how it looks on a daily basis there? Sure. So let, let's understand the region. We have Hamas that's controlling Gaza. That's 2 million Palestinians, about 700 Christians amongst uh, the rest of the Muslim population. Then you have the West Bank, which is the governing entity is the Palestinian Authority. And then you have the state of Israel. So those are the three political entities. Hamas, again, it, it, remember, we don't have a Palestinian state. So what we have is governing entities representing Palestinian controlled areas. So at one time we were in Gaza, but we left Gaza in 2005, hopefully for a peace deal, which never came to be. In fact, we gave, we gave the Palestinian people all the, uh, the agricultural means to make it a very successful agricultural economy but it was the Hamas terrorists that destroyed everything and burnt up all the synagogues and everything left that, that the Jews had there. So we left, we left the Gaza Strip. I think this is important to understand in 2005. Yeah, yeah, we, this is awesome, thank you. Okay, then after we left the Gaza Strip, we've been experiencing missiles from, from the Gaza Strip, from Hamas ever since then. What Hamas did is bully their way into the political situation chased out the prime minister, Mahmoud Abbas, from Hamas, from, from the Gaza Strip. So therefore, Mahmoud Abbas has no political influence in the Gaza Strip, even though it's still Palestinian people. So right now you have Hamas, Gaza, uh, Mahmoud Abbas going ahead and ruling the West Bank. That's the Palestinians. And then you have the state of Israel. Now, in the state of Israel, you have two, two million Arabs. You have 160,000 Christian Arabs, 170,000 Christian Arabs living in the state of Israel. And the majority of Arabs are Muslim. Then you have some Druze and other, and, other, and other minorities. So understand this, in a population of the state of Israel of 9 million, about 21% of our population is Arab. Full citizens of the state of Israel. Now, you can, you can be an Arab as a citizen of the state of Israel and identify as a Palestinian. That's pretty normal. So even though you're an Arab that grew up in Haifa, was born in Haifa, went to Israeli, went to Israeli public schools that are, that are Muslim, they'll first identify with their Palestinian nationalism, then they're with their Israeli citizenship. So when you hear Palestinian, this is sort of like a misnomer. What type of Palestinian are we talking about? A Palestinian living in Gaza? Are we talking about a Palestinian that's living in the West Bank under the, uh, the political authority, governing entity of the Palestinian Authority? Or are we talking about a Palestinian that's an Israeli citizen or resident that's living under the jurisdiction of the state of Israel? I think this is important because whatever happened Very, in Jerusalem, yeah, whatever happened in Jerusalem, everything was in the, in the context of Palestinians. No, they were Israeli citizens or residents. That means that you still have Palestinians who never took on citizenship after 1967, and they would have what's equivalent to a green card, right? But they're still under the governing entity of the state of Israel. The Temple Mount is under the state of Israel's jurisdiction. Sheikh Jarrah, which made the news, to, which made the news, which was a landlord-tenant dispute. Sheikh Jarrah, before the War of Independence in 1948, Jews and Arabs were living there. Jews had a claim on particular properties. When the war happened we, in the, for the War of Independence, we lost Jerusalem to the Jordanians. And that 1950, was in 1950, right? But that is 1948. We won the war for the rest of the parts of, for Israel, not according to what was the two-state solution that the British set up for us, it was less land than that, but we were happy to have the state of Israel, but we didn't have Jerusalem. That means including the Kotel. So that means from 1948 to 1967, Jews were not allowed to go to the Kotel under Jordanian rule. So you got to understand that 1967 happened. We won this six day war. We got a lot of land, including Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. And then we got the Golan. All right, and then afterwards, the question was, what we're we going to do and negotiate with our Arab neighbors. 
there was never a Palestinian state. I think that's very important to understand. Palestinian nationalism came in with Yasser Arafat and other people that came in the Palestinian Authority. And the idea was eventually, let's create a two-state solution for the Palestinians, along with the Israelis, knowing there would be full, there would be security, safety, economic commerce, so on and so forth. But since 1993, when the Oslo Accords happened, a, uh, and, and Israel tried on numerous occasions to create a Palestinian state, uh, there was always a no, because what the Palestinians wanted was 100%. And we weren't willing to give 100%. That's called compromise. So in 2000 is the famous compromise that we tried to give 97.5% to what the Palestinians wanted. And Arafat walked away. And that was the beginning of the second Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Okay? So I think it's important to know at the end of the day, when we're dealing with local issues under the jurisdiction of the state of Israel, there's no authority Mahu Abbas has over this, nor Hamas has over this, nor any other governing entity. You could suggest things, but we rule over. We're the governing entity at the end of the day, right? So a local issue. If I am not happy with something in Mexico because of a landlord-tenant dispute, doesn't give the United States the right to start bombing Mexico City, all right? Because yeah. I don't agree with a landlord-tenant dispute. And what Sheikh Jarrah was is a landlord-tenant dispute. Basically, at the end, what now, happened was- I'll, I'll pause I, right there. The, the, land, the land dispute has been, uh, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, just all, all my readings, 1875, it goes all the way back to the original yeah, Jews owning, bought, Jews, Jews bought, bought the up. land in 1875, we right? We have the deed. So we basically deed. what you're doing is when the Jordanians had it, they basically bought a land that was really, really, and never not theirs, right? No, no. The Jordanians were ruling over that area, held on at to that the, moment. At that moment, and what happened was that when things were being in 1967, because we won the war, things were being transferred over to the Israeli governing entity, even including the deeds. It could, everything was being transferred over. Okay, so what we were, what was happening after 1967 was there was this deed on this land. They went to the courts. This is a four decade court issue, trying to figure out what we're gonna do with this piece of land because the people living there were living rent free. It's like a it's like squatter's rights. Someone's in there, they're already living. But so they the were people, not paying, about, they were, they were not, not paying, paying any rent. So because there's there's a big thing that they were paying rent, right? No, so I want, I want to, okay, so I wanna get that right. So that those who, who are, who are doing their studies and the due diligence to study this, the claim is that these are people that are paying rent and there's their house because they're paying rent and they claim it. They're not no, paying rent. They're not paying rent. And what they, they're in, so this is the best way I can describe it. It's what's we call squatter, squatter's rights. In California, in, yes, absolutely, yeah. You go into a building, you have it. Now you have, what the complication with this is because this is all international stuff because what happened was Jordan was ruling over that particular area from 1948 to 1967. And afterwards, now that it's under Israeli law, under Israeli rule, now everything has to go through the court system. For years and years, this things was being pushed off, pushed, pushed off. There was going to be a Supreme Court decision, then there wasn't. And at the end, you want to talk, it's just very bad timing. They were, they want, they're basically the eviction, the Supreme Court held, upheld the, the eviction notice. Now it wasn't an eviction that they would be homeless there was already housing available for them. Which that was, is not shown nowhere not shown. in none of the videos, right? So the famous videos of those who are listening to me, right? Again, on all sides, because we get people from many countries and all sides that listen to this podcast, David. Many of them will write to me. Many of them will tell me, well, look at, you saw the you saw the older lady. She was telling him, why are you taking away my house? There's nowhere for me to go. That is not the case. Explain again what you just told us. There was somewhere for them to go. There was, there was already... somewhere for them to go, and okay. they weren't paying rent. So again, you're an owner. You you're owner of a building, and your your tenant is not paying. So again, does that justify? As even if you want to say that you're really feeling bad for for the Arabs, Israeli Arabs who identify themselves as Palestinian. Do, then what justification do you have to throw rockets into Israel and, and hurt anyone in Israel? Again, if you have an issue, you can always file a complaint, right? 
I've never heard anyone in the United States when it comes to a landlord tenant dispute that justifies trying to kill people to undo what they feel is an injustice. So even if you feel there's an injustice, there's no right to do what Hamas did. But Hamas which, got him right. Which, I think this is what, extremely important because I don't important. understand people. It's important because I want to. I, I made the point to many folks this week, and the reason that this is important, we both passionate about it because we both, you know, I've been on the phone all week and and zooms and with people, you know, I, I, uh, the equivalent of if Mexico wanted Texas back, right? Right, you will you will come in and want it, but you want it in diplomacy, and you and you want to have the conversation, the diplomacy. I'm not and even it, saying it's not. I'm not no, saying no, it's Mexico. No, no, no. I'm no, saying it's I'm, I'm, I disagree I'm, I'm, with. Yeah, but okay, it's not that. But it's not that. That's the thing. Okay. It's not Mexico City in the United States. It's not that. The ruling authority over Jerusalem is Israel. Is Israel? Period. Okay. Yeah. The Palestinian Authority has no jurisdiction in any of the matters of Jerusalem. Okay. We annex Jerusalem as the state of Israel. It's under our jurisdiction. If you go to Jerusalem right now, you will see Arabs and Jews living in harmony and we're all working together. This particular thing got international attention and made it into an international story for some reason of a local, a local issue between a tenant and a landlord, which took four decades to go through the courts. So it's a complicated issue. But the Supreme Court of Israel said they have to uphold the eviction notice. So that means a democratic country that has a Supreme Court that weighed everything in and said the eviction stands. Why is, is this an international issue? But I think I think it's because again, people are polarized of what they see, and they and they see a one video, and they run on that one video, and then again, they don't know the whole story, which I tell folks all the time. When it comes to, especially you're an American, you was born in America. Yep. You have never been to the Middle East, right? You've never been to Jerusalem. You've never been to Israel. You've never been to Gaza, right? There is no way that you can talk unless you have a firsthand experience is what we're doing right now, unless you're having some type of dialogue with somebody. And me, I've been there three times, but still then yet, I'm not an expert because I'm not there every single day, right? So you have to have dialogue with folks that are there every day that know the full story before you can go ahead and jump on a bandwagon because of injustice, right? One thing I love about this generation is that they all about justice. But I always say this, and I said this the last time, like, you can't cure injustice with injustice. It just doesn't happen that way, right? And so we have this mentality that it's a mob, like, oh, we're going to attack that which is injustice. And through our injustice, we're going to deal with injustice. Justice is justice by itself. And so when you hear the fact that, so, those, so for those who are knowing that this video is out there and we've seen the video, the context around it is very important to understand that they have somewhere to live. Not only did they have somewhere to live, it's rent free on top of that, right? That provisions, because that's one of the things that I'm getting told a lot. Well, there's no provisions being made for the Palestinian people. There's no provisions being made for people that are on the other side. And it's just not fair because people are living in some horrible conditions, again, because of some of the places. And I'm not saying everywhere is perfect. There's no perfect situation. But But it's not the whole story when you just jump on one single story and you go on that. Right, so let's take the second story, which main international news is the Temple Mount and the protest from- Under the mosque. Again, again, no, not the Temple Mount. Okay. People praying in the mosque. Yes, yes. This is the second international, the second story made international news. I think the first one, to be fair, the first one was the Damascus thing and we talked about that the last time. Damascus Gate, and we've discussed this, but we'll discuss it again. But I wanna deal with the Temple Mount because at at the end of the day, the religious authorities, of the WAF are in charge of, of the religious aspects of, of, uh, of the Dome on the Rock. Okay, that's fine. But the jurisdiction is still under the state of Israel. All right. If you go up, and I think you've been there, you go on and you want to tour up there, you have several security personnel watching. I can't, as a Jew, I can visit, but I can't pray. And the police, my own police, look to see if we're praying next to the mosque. And if they do, they have to kindly ask me to leave because that incites, infuriates 
the local Muslims who are praying at the mosque. So understand yeah. this. It's my state. Uh, the Temple Mount is just as holy as it is to me than it is to the Muslims that pray there. And I can't, I, there's difficulty for me openly praying on the mosque area. Okay. And who's going to take me out from, from the area is my own, my own police department. So I, I think that you have to put the context there. Yeah, there's always police there to make sure that there's always peace in the area. The intel was that the young teenagers were collecting rocks to do an intentional protest. At the end of the day, there was going to be a protest. So there were rocks being gathered into the mosque. That means the mosque is being used as a as a to house a potential protest that will end up hurting people because rocks hurt people. The police got the intel and they went in. Okay, so no one questioned why there were a bunch of rocks on the Temple Mount inside a mosque. They were only looking at the police coming in, trying to proactively stop a riot from happening. And it didn't ha it didn't work out that way. But it, then you had the protest come out, and then of course the pictures get shot all over the world and it looks like the police are doing such terrible things against the palestinians but no mm -hmm. one's talking about why why you stockpiling rocks in the mosque in the first place mosque is for prayer it's not for for someone to do intentional stuff so that's number two number three prior to that we can't forget that there were a few muslim teenagers who went on a train saw a jew identifiable as a jew an ultra religious jew and started beating him up take a video and went viral all right. The reaction to that was then some fringe movements within the Jewish world, not representative of the state of Israel, decided to protest and started fighting against some of the Muslims. Tensions started to rise. Don't forget, we're trying to get out from our third country wide shutdown because of COVID. And we want to jumpstart the economy. We're finally we're finally able to go ahead inside restaurants and, and, and just and open and be open. Now, we're also, we were also in Ramadan, all right? So in Ramadan, Muslims fast during the day and they break their fast in the evening for every day for 40 days. The custom normally during pre-COVID times was Muslim teenagers would be hanging around Damascus Gate. There's a sort of an amphitheater stairwell going into the gate area. And normally people would break their fast over there. And it would be a time for gathering. The police made a decision to barricade that area to prevent a mass gathering to happen. Was it the smartest idea on the police part to do that? In my humble opinion, not. But if you take that incident of the barricades that infuriated Muslim teenagers, along with the Temple Mount, along with Sheikh Jarrah, along with the Palestinian Authority delaying its elections, Hamas takes advantage of the moment and decides to launch the attack on Israel for two weeks. Yeah. That's the context. Which is so important. I want the Holy Talk to be a, a, a bridge in understanding. Now I want folks to really get their news from us and really get their news from there to understand context is everything, right? Um, I want to jump on a subject that is, uh, that is I, I don't even get it and I don't understand it, but I'm going to jump on it anyway. So you have the BLM, the Black Lives Matter, Lives Matter movement. They are jumping on again because I think a lot of folks here, uh, especially from one side of the aisle, are choosing because everything is like, if you like black, I'm gonna like white. If you like oranges, I like apple, right? It has nothing to do with understanding of what's happening, right? International diplomacy, international understanding of even laws in a country like you're sharing with us, right? Like, and I love that you keep on letting us understand that it's, you know, Israel has the right to run the state if they want to, any way they want to, because that is their land, right? That, that is, they want that in the war and that's what it is, right? So the context is there. Can you explain to folks that are listening, because automatically what BLM and a lot of folks, not only them, but a lot of folks are saying that to be Israeli, to be a Jew is to be white. Could you dispel this myth that's out here that there are, when it comes to people of color, I'm a person of color, 
You know what I mean? And I, and again, I've been there, so I know this myself because I've been there in the land of holy land. I know this that there are probably when I saw more people that look like me than anything else. All right, what is the percentages so people can know and understand? Is not a black and white issue like people want to make it. So let's well, let's just remember that Jews don't only come from Europe. So I think like everyone thinks that Jews came into from the uh, into the United States from Europe. It happens to be that the Spanish Portuguese synagogue, which is one of the oldest synagogues, were were people from Spain and Portugal, and those Jews were not white. They were dark skinned complexion Jews that first came into the United States. So that's number one. Number two, uh, when, when the state of Israel was created, 800,000 Middle Eastern Jews of, of darker complexion than I am as a white, blue-eyed Jew, um, lost, they were not able to be remain in their homes in Morocco and Tunisia and Yemen and so, on and so forth. They all came to Israel. Now you have a probably around 50, 51%, 52% of Israeli Jews that are from Middle Eastern descent. In fact, my wife, my wife is Yemenite, meaning that her, her, she's Jewish, but her, her, uh, her parents' country of origin is from Yemen. They are darker skin complexion. My kids are cafe mocha at the end of the day. Uh, no one looks like me. Right? They all are dark skin complexion. So I'm married to someone who's dark skin Jewish, and my kids are all dark skin Jewish. And I think if you come to Israel, you, re you realize that most, you look at most Jews around you, they're not white that you normally see in New York. But what's kind of interesting is like everyone looks at New York, and like if you go to Ocean Parkway and, and Flatbush, <laughs> and you go, let's say, from Avenue L all the way to Avenue Z, you will see dark skin complexion Jews because those are Jews from Morocco and from Syria and from Iran. Uh, they're all dark skin complexion. If you go to Teaneck, New Jersey, and you go to Deal, New Jersey, they're all dark skin complexion Jews. So, and then you have the Israelis who decided to move from Israel into the into the United States, dark skin complexion. I mean, Jews come in, in a variety of colors, including Ethiopian Jews, which is, thank God, we were able to bring them from Ethiopia yeah. in, in, into Israel. So that's the darkest complexion of Jews out there. And they have a community. And again, this is what this is the beauty of Israel. So uh, I don't know how you can equate being Jewish as being white and blue-eyed, even though the person speaking right now is white and blue-eyed. But that that's but at the end, if you look at it, uh, I, I just I, I don't get why being Jewish is automatically associated as white. So that's why I wanted to have this conversation, because I think, again, that this Noma and it's just folks jump on people because they hear it. Oh, it's black against white people. It's Palestinians against Jews. I tell folks it's not that black and white, because, again, if you've seen the, and, 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 and I also don't want to paint the picture because I've seen. Jewish and, and Palestinian kids uh, having a great time. That's not everybody, right? So, but what we do is we paint these big, broad brushes through our experiences. And we say, because I experienced this, this has got to be. What I want for those who listen to this podcast to really educate themselves to understanding, we can't look at everything through those big, broad brushes. There are so many nuances and so many uh, levels to this that we have to peel back the, the 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 onion I would say so that we can really get the flavor and so a lot of times what I would say is educate yourself first before you go and start fighting now the things that we can do for sure is this if you see an anti-semitism anywhere if you see anyone being abused because they're a Jew you must do something about it and you must jump in right? You must stop that abuse. Those are the things that I say you can do right away, right? But if you're going to have this discourse in a public forum, right? In a public square, make sure that the discourse is meant with some proper context, right? And some proper understanding of the whole totalitarianism and what's happening there. And just don't jump on one side or the other. Yes, but I, I want to go even further with you today is that um, 
I don't think the African-American community that associates with the official BLM movement understands what Jews have contributed to the civil rights movement. Somehow that history of the NAACP being really funded and, and organized originally with Jews that Rabbi Joshua Heschel, Abraham Joshua Heschel marched with Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, that we were involved in the civil rights movement. And then all of a sudden there was this discord that happened between the African-American community and the Jewish people in the 1970s. And there seems to be still some issues between the African-American and the Jewish community. My passion for the, for ever since I've been involved in Jewish Christian relations is always trying to work with the African-American church because I do believe that there is a special bond between the Jewish people and the African-American uh, uh, people come together because we do we do understand the narrative of oppression. And this is the reason why Jews wanted to be on the forefront of the civil rights movement. And then all of a sudden uh, you find people within the official BLM movement saying very anti-Semitic things. Yes. And I was just like, I, we, this is one of the perplexing things for us is that what happened here? You know, we want, we want to uh, correct injustices. And obviously the issue of, of what's happening in the African-American community has to be addressed, but it, it doesn't mean that uh, all of a sudden Black Lives Matter has to take on the, this international thing of complete solidarity with the Palestinian people at, at, at the risk of the Jewish people. Like I always said to you, Pastor, I'm pro-Palestinian as well. Uh, my organization, uh, the Oratory Stone Center for Jewish Christian Understanding Cooperation, we help out the poor Palestinian Christians living in the birthplace of Christianity because I believe covenant land comes with covenant responsibility. Uh, in fact, Oratory Stone has another institute that works with Muslims and trying to bettering the, the situation between the relationship between Israeli Jews and, and Palestinian Muslims. So there are things that happen on the ground that we're trying on our own to, to realize that we're stewards of this land and we have a responsibility to reach out. I want the Palestinian people to live in peace and harmony with me. I just, unfortunately, they have a really bad corrupt leadership, both on the Hamas side and Gaza, as a terrorist organization representing them, and then with uh, the Prime Minister uh, Mahmoud Abbas for the Palestinian Authority. These guys take international monies and put it in their own pockets. Like, again, in order, like, no one's understanding this for some reason. International money was used to buy missiles to create underground tunnels. I think in 2014, when we discovered the whole tunnel network, it was $1.25 billion to create the, the tunnels under Gaza. So when we destroyed them, guess what happened? They were building more. How you build this, you have to buy concrete. Concrete is money. You have to buy yeah. it with money. Where's that money? Someone's someone supplying the money. Someone's supplying the money. But yes. again, this is international money. This is one of the reasons why the previous administration was not was not going to give aid to the Palestinian people, especially in, in, in Hamas, is because you're buying for the purpose, you're using the money for the purposes of terrorism. Well, that's not the right use of money. You want to help out the people. So the, I would say the Palestinians are being used as pawns by their own leadership. But the way it's being taken out is very much being anti-Semitic at the at the end of the day. And, and this that, is what you, I, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but you know, we New Yorkers. So, because uh, well, I want to put this point out there, David, you can be pro-Palestinian people. Like you just said, I'm pro-Palestinian people. The welfare of the people, making sure that those people are being taken care of and be pro-Jewish, pro-Israeli people, right? Right? You, you can be both. And I want folks to listen to the music because that is the lie that, that the media and the narrative of people that love hate and violence are spewing out here. I'm telling you, I got it. I got it from Christians this week that were challenging me, you know what I mean? And wanting me to get either on, and I had Christians on both sides. But what I wanted them to understand, and I want those who are listening to this podcast to understand, you can be pro both. Don't believe the lie and again the reason that i believe folks the black lives matter which i don't 
I don't agree with the, the movement, the, the, the leaders of the movement itself. That's just me as a Christian, I don't. I, I can say black life matters because I'm a person of color and I do believe black lives matter. I do believe that, right? But the movement is not something I stand with. But I understand why they did what they did because everything here in this country that I live in, the great country of America that I love, we are flawed in this. We flawed in a lot of areas, but it, we politicize everything. We want to make it one side against the other, and that's how we roll. And we got to, as Christians, and Christians, please listen to me, we got to stop buying the lie that is that side, this side, evil, good, good, evil. And that's a lie because, again, if you go with me to Israel, and I'm hoping that a whole bunch of you that listen to this will take a trip with us and walk down the streets with David and I, myself, and some other folks that we know there, you will see that there are a lot of efforts on the ground that are happening, a lot of nonprofit efforts, a lot of work, a lot of money is being poured into the safety of the Palestinian people um, because they're the ones, them and Jewish people take the blunt of it because again, all this politicizing happening. Now, if somebody got the narrative, now a guy in LA is getting beat up because he's a Jew. A guy in New York City is getting beat up because it doesn't make no sense, right? And then at the same time, you have Palestinian people in right there right now that are suffering because their own government is allowing them to suffer and not doing nothing about it. So people are the one in the end of the day, when you take a political size, you got to understand there are people that are hurting because we don't understand the whole context of it and we're not standing for truth and justice. And I'm going to say it again. You don't fight injustice with injustice. Justice is what wins. And that's the side that we have to stand on. I guess that's it for our time, Pastor. I don't know. <laughs> we get caught up. Oh man, you got me. You got me, man. Listen, this is great. I, I'm glad that we we are having this conversation. We're gonna have a little bit more. We're gonna have some friends of ours join us. Um, and again, uh, what I'll say this. Let's let's end with this. What can Christians do? On your perspective. Um, a lot of Christians are doing rallies. We saw yesterday solidarity all over the United States rallies were being done. I did not join the rally last night. I was invited to a rally. I did not join one. Uh, my daughter graduated, but I also was uh, wanting to hear from you on what the more can we do? Um, what can Christians do to begin to start bridging and helping more of the Jewish people in this hour and this time? So Again, certain things got reported in the media, like New York, where uh, you had radical Muslims going ahead and, and really saying bad stuff, like we're gonna rape your, we should rape your young women and so on mm. and so forth. It's just really bad, bad stuff. But they heard Hebrew and they were going to start a fight. They went into a, a kosher restaurant uh, and to start trouble in a kosher restaurant. But that was in New York. You should just know that in Dallas a few days ago, there's a kosher restaurant. I think it's called the Terret in Dallas. And they also, uh, there were people who on the pro-Palestinian side came in and started harassing people. So I know there are people who want to attend a pro-Israel rally from the Jewish side. I think there's a fear right now for the Jews to be visibly identified right now because they're afraid they're gonna get beat up. I know a friend of mine who just said to people in New York City, don't walk with a kippah on your head because you'll be a target. Like the, just that statement to say to someone in New York City not to walk with a kippah on their head, that, that's crazy. So. I think what can happen right now is that if there's Christians in, in the security area that are willing to say to the local federation, to the synagogues that are near them and say, we will help to be in surveilling uh, the neighborhood and the synagogue as a show of solidarity. I think that's a practical way because at the end of the day, Jews are walking to synagogue and they might not feel safe because walking with a keep on your head or having some prayer shawl, even if you have a baseball cap or something like that, yeah. you're being identified as a Jew. So I think like in neighborhoods that are, that you do have a Jewish community, if there's a way that the Christian community could come together and make sure that even like Shabbat, that 
no one feels like walking out as a Jew on Shabbat uh, is a target. Uh, because I think right now there is a fear. And this fear goes is a fear that we have experienced over many, many centuries because this is the pogroms. We view what happened at, in New York City as just memories of, of a collective of pogroms, that mm -hmm. Jews are just being targeted because of Jews. Um, so in, in my opinion, a show of solidarity would be helping making sure that Jews feel safe in the neighborhoods. And the only way you do that is you have to show that people are outside, making sure everyone is okay. So that needs to be coordinated with the police. Uh, police can't be everywhere. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I think most police departments are doing a great job. Obviously, things are, are just going through with different cities and how each police department is being funded for policing activities for this. But we're going to need help from volunteers. I think that's number one. Number two, it's the, uh, it's the social media component of it because the rise of anti-Semitism on social media is just, it's just incredible. So I think- It's, it's insane. I, it, I think just going ahead and continuing to educate the church. And I think one thing you're going to be seeing in the future, because it's already happening right now, is that Jesus is going to be put into the framework as a Palestinian. And then the old Christian anti-Semitic uh, charge of deicide, meaning that Jews today are collectively responsible for the murder of Jesus, uh, which justifies violence, you will see continually be promoted within the pro-Palestinian camp. It's already starting on this. So somehow Jesus's Jewishness somehow disappeared. The church's roots in Judaism has, is, you know, will be attacked. Question is, will Christians feel offended enough when someone says Jesus is a Palestinian? Because what you're saying is the Jewish identity of Jesus is no longer valid or even needed. Now, and, and I don't want to get to the theological discussion. I will say this. Most Christians understand uh, they will see Jesus as a Palestinian Jew, but they understand that it was a different time, a different place. And they will also understand that no one took the life of Jesus, right? Jesus said himself from his mouth. So for our Christians to understand what Jesus said, no one takes my life, you know, I freely give it, right? And we know, and, you know for, for those who are Christians understand that Rome, the Roman government then was giving, right? They were the one that nailed the nails in the hands, was right? The one who right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so I want them to understand that this is the case and if you don't understand theologic, then go find a theology, then go find a pastor, go find someone that really teaches the Bible and says, what really happened to Jesus? And uh, I will say this, visit um, uh, the chosen will be a great way. If, you, if anyone wants, if Christians want to understand Jesus' Jewishness, I've, uh, and I don't know if you've seen this yet, David Recruitman, uh, there is a... Uh, uh, a new, I would say show, it's not even a movie, it's a show. It's called Chosen, it's only done through app. So you gotta download the Chosen app and probably the best depiction of Christ on earth that I've ever seen, because what it does, it highlights Jesus' Jewishness to the point that I, I, I cry every time I see, we just had a new episode from season two download. If you watch season one and, and season two right now, it will blow your mind, and it's unbelievable because, again, Jesus' Jewishness is highlighted to such a great level, and they've done such a great job that I'm totally amazed by it. Again, Jesus was born a Jew, was practicing Judaism, yes. died as a Jew, yes. and in Christian theology, the resurrection doesn't take away his Jewishness. Oh, again, and you and I have had this conversation. Yeah, he's he, it, 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 it highlights it more than any. He's in heaven, fully a Jew right now. If you're a Christian and you believe our Christian doctrines, he's fully man and fully God, still in heaven, still fully a still full Jew, which I tell people all the time. He's fully Jew, right? And so, um, that's yeah, but the, narrative not, but that the, the important thing is, I, I and this is gonna because this is gonna be the issue. He's not a Palestinian Muslim, Islam didn't no. exist. No, that, but, well, that's that, what, that's, but that's what's that's, being that's used. That's why right I now. said what I said, right. Yeah. So if, if we say he's a Palestinian Jew, 
Content and context is important when you hear that statement, right? If a Muslim is claiming that he's a Muslim Palestinian, right? That is not a proper context of where the time Jesus was living and how Jesus. So again, find yourself a pastor, find yourself someone that will teach the word of God and understand biblical doctrine. No one in Christian biblical doctrine would teach that at all. It will be against total Christianity, right? To, to, to take Jesus's Jewishness away from him, right? That will be totally against every teaching of the Bible and even Jesus himself as a person that he lived when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So that's why I'm telling our Christian audience, when you hear that lie, it's a lie, right? Not only is it a lie, again, there are, there are ways for you to understand how easy that is a lie. So uh, without going through a full, you know, biblical doctrinal uh, yeah. conversation. So. Well, that's our just, theology. That's our theology lesson today. Yeah, right? exactly right. Exactly right. That's our biblical uh, talk right now. Hey, yeah. David, this is so much fun for me. Thank you so much. I put our um, information on the show notes so we don't even have to say those no more. Just people can reach out to us, talk to us, let us know what they want. And again, I do get a lot of folks that are learning, churches and pastors that are really learning and are really growing and are, are shifting their churches just for some of the conversation that we have in here, David. So thank you very much for taking the time from Israel. Um, and, and you guys continue to write us in. I look forward to the next couple of shows. I'm excited about them. I'm excited about continuing the, the dialogue and continuing seeing Christians and Jews come together as brothers and sisters, um, because that's what we are. Blessings from Israel. Shalom. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Holy Talk. Email holytalkpodcast at gmail.com for more information.